you have the creativity and the liberty and the freedom to try stuff. And And the ignorance. I mean, you don't even know what you don't know. Hey, everyone. I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Force of Nature founders, Robbie Sansom and Taylor Collins, as we discuss the impact regenerative farming has on the environment, the meat we eat, and our own health. Force of Nature is the first of its kind, a regeneratively sourced meat company based in Austin, Texas. They have a wide variety of animal products that they sell and distribute from grass-fed bison, cattle, elk, and venison to pasture-raised chicken and even wild-caught boar. My personal favorite thing about them is their inclusion of organ meats in their ground products. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to mention that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. I know. So good to have you. We were just reminiscing about the early days when you guys were with Epic Provisions, and now here we are. It's all coming full circle. So welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, okay. Give everyone the background who's listening just on how you guys got here, how you, how you met, where you come from and where you are now. Uh, I'll take a stab at that. You know, Robbie and myself and my wife, Katie, uh, we go way back. We go back to the days of uh, teenage years. We met in uh, middle school and Robbie and I actually were colleagues, classmates, you know, we went to middle school, high school together. And then Robbie and Katie grew up literally next to each other. You know, some of their best friends, they interacted on a weekly basis. And um, it just kind of felt like the trajectory of our lives early on. We were familiar with each other, but we weren't supposed to really connect and, and come together and amplify and just dominate so hard until later in life. And, and you know, Katie and I started epic uh, provisions in 2012, 2013. And we, um, yeah, we know Morgan from those early days. What's up? Hey, yeah. high five. Absolutely. Um, and when epic started blowing up, we, we needed a very legitimate CEO, CFO, business operator, dominator to come on board. And the only person that I knew that was a total badass was Robbie. And so just called him out of the blue and um, I would like to say that we kind of seduced him a little bit with this opportunity to be a part of uh, Epic. And at first he was like, no way, this is just, and I love you guys, but it, this is not happening. But then Robbie saw the light. He saw the opportunity, he left a corporate career and he joined a freaking startup uh, from the early days. And man, did we, we had fun. We kicked ass. We, um, we grew the brand unbelievably fast and, um, it was never our intention to sell it, but we always kind of aligned if we found a strategic partner that could further amplify and accelerate our vision, positive impact. It was going to be a no-brainer. And a couple of years down the road, we ended up um, selling Epic to General Mills. And so, um, I mean, the memories that we have back in those days were just absolutely incredible, super fun being a startup, being nimble, being agile, taking all these risk and just doing so many good things for our consumers and planet and animals. And so, you know, like that was some of our best times in our life. And I, and I felt like when we sold Epic, we carved out this thing in our contract, kind of like a non-compete that we, we knew that the next evolution of our mission and our journey together, our legacy was to actually start a company like force of nature, where we're selling whole meat, frozen meat, fresh meat, um, because like that two ounce Epic bar, you know, like 
every time you've sold one of those, you are casting a vote, you're changing supply chains, you're incentivizing ranchers, you're supporting a regenerative revolution. But if you can sell 16 ounce packages of meat, it's just so much greater and you can create positive change so much faster. And so that was, um, I don't know, I feel like this was supposed to be. Um, feel very blessed and very lucky to have met Katie and Robbie. I love it. And where'd you guys grow up? We, we all grew up here in Austin, Texas. Okay. So Epic was founded in Austin, Force of Nature's founded in Austin, and we're all still proud members of the Central Texas community. Love it. Fabulous. Um, so then what happened? So you guys, you grow Epic, you sell it, and now, and then you founded Force of Nature, like how soon after? Immediately, pretty quick? I think so, so the, the Epic closed in 2016, early 2016. And I think within a few months, Katie and Taylor, um, and, we, and we stayed, you know, for years, because I think it was important that we honored the, the mission and the intention of Epic. And for us, the most important thing was creating stability for the people on our team, for the processors for that we worked with, for the farmers who literally bet the farm on us, and, and for the consumers who were supporting the mission, right? So we were really, really intentional with um, staying around and seeing that through for, for, for several years. Um, I think, like Taylor said, we always knew down the road, we didn't know when, but we knew down the road there was an opportunity to expand the mission. And, you know, Katie and Taylor um, generously put their money where their mouth is and bought a farm out west of Austin and started started trying to put into practice what we had been working on and seen through friends and mentors in the agriculture space. Um, uh, founded Rome Ranch where that, that they own personally. Um, and I think I think Taylor maybe mid-2016. And, and like I said, I've, I've turned that into an educational facility and field experiment for regenerative agriculture. And they were kind enough to let me put some bison in the original herd of bison and you know still work with them and help um, work some animals on the land. And um, you know, live our own values day to day. And then I think uh, a few years later in uh, in 2019, we decided that it was really time and the, and the opportunity was right. And we had the, the ability to really focus the right amount of energy. We'd left Epic in great hands and could start to focus, and particularly me, focus the right amount of energy into, you know, putting this grant, this brand into the market and fueling it, as you know, as a, as a, as a founder in the startup um, an entrepreneur, it takes a lot out of you. And so, you know, we, we really needed to make sure we were committed to it, but yeah, early 2019, we, um, kicked this brand off and I pretty much dedicated all my energies to it since. And, and Katie and Taylor have been dedicating the bulk of their energies to being incredible land stewards, uh, on, on, on Rome ranch. And, um, you know, we collaborate pretty extensively them as advisors and co-founders and force of nature. And, um, it's been really, really fun and exciting. I love it. How big is Rome ranch, Taylor? Um, so we manage 900 acres of hill country land. And so it's, um, it's big for the area. We piece together three individual tracks of land from different owners. And then we're also leasing two different tracks. And so, yeah, the more land that we can manage under these regenerative principles, the more land we can impact and the more meat we can feed and nourish our community. Much of it goes through force of nature. And so it's really a beautiful system out here. We're a multi-species regenerative ranch. So, you know, we look into nature for guidance and for wisdom. And one of those key principles is diversity. Like biodiversity creates resilience. It creates functioning synergies. And so we raise bison, we raise turkeys, we raise broiler chickens, laying chickens. We have some laying ducks. We have pigs. We have a honeybee apiary. 
And then, you know, what's really important to this system that we call home is, is the wildlife. And so at any given point in time, we have a couple hundred thousand beating hearts on the ranch. And that might be migratory eastern meadowlarks, or it could be armadillos or ring-tailed cats, you know, foxes, coyotes. Everyone is welcome here because we we want this place to be teeming with life and we want to work with nature and our guidance. And we, even though we can't really understand how all these different organisms contribute to the system, we know that they're supposed to be there and we're going to step back and set the stage for them to take hold and, and really um, add some positive return to this, this land and demonstrate that. I love it. So are all the like products, I guess all the animals you're growing, are they all going into force of nature and then you're sourcing from other like force of nature approved suppliers or how do, how do the two organizations work together? Yeah, we, um, so we, we primarily sell, you know, bison that's harvested through a USDA processing plant. All of that meat goes to force of nature. Um, and then it goes to our consumers. It's shipped nationally. Um, it's in retail stores and it's on our website. So you kind of get it at all different locations, but force of nature, or sorry, Rome ranch is not the sole supplier of force of nature. Um, the goal with that brand was always to grow impact and support independent family ranches like Rome ranch. And so Rome is just one of many, um, opportunities for force of nature, which is this brilliant, um, leverage this, this arm, this marketing arm. That's a collective, of different ranchers and producers and supports these independent families and puts that product in the market, rewards them and, and incentivizes more farmers to be on board and provides access for the first time uh, to consumers on a national level, this regeneratively sourced meat. Yeah. So, I think like, like, like Taylor was saying, I think that that access part is really key. And there's, I'm sure there's a ton of issues in food that we'll talk about um, where we're trying to promote more awareness and in, into those issues. I think one of the big things with force of nature is we're trying to be, we're trying to bring scale to the small farmer and producer to really have more, have the ability to create more meaningful impact. Right. And then further to be able to regionalize food. So, you know, we have California ranches that we're keeping, you know, California animals feeding California consumers and same thing on the East coast and the Carolinas and Georgia and the central parts of the country. So we're hoping to, uh, as through force of nature to be able to take, you know, the example of ranches like Rome ranch and to give them more power and influence and, and, and more ability to, you know, improve the land and improve the outcomes for communities that are struggling, improve outcomes for animals and ecosystems and on and on that you can't really do at small scale. Okay, so you mentioned the food issues. Tell me what, what are they and how is regenerative agriculture different? Like, how are you guys doing things different than you would find it? For those who don't know, like I know some folks listening may be super familiar with regenerative agriculture, but some might have no idea what you're talking about. So break it down for me. And there, there's so much at play here and it's so complex, but, you know, I'll take a stab at it and we can riff on it. But, you know, our current state of our food system, it's highly industrialized, it's highly mechanized and it's highly centralized. And so what happens is the way that we produce food is very extractive. We have no concerns for uh, the natural resources of our planet. And it's all about profitability, minimal amounts of input um, as quickly as possible. And we're depleting, we're depleting, we're depleting, we're never putting back in. And so we're at this brink in history. It's really interesting where the actual soil in which our food is produced is, is essentially lost. In many circumstances, it's been degraded to the point at which desertification is happening. And this is all man-made, man-influenced 
man and woman influence desertification. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to decommoditize, especially meat, because meat has had a very bad reputation for quite a while. Um, and rightfully so when you look at the industrial feedlot system, right? But what shouldn't get a pass is the industrial monocrop system, right? I mean, that system is is equally, if not more destructive on land and consumers' health because that system is fighting mother nature at full capacity every single day through chemical inputs, you know, fertilizer, pesticides, herbicides. Um, and so we're trying to pull the blinders back and we're trying to reconnect consumers to the sources of their food and show them how those decisions, um, every time you purchase food, every time you purchase fiber, every time, you know, every act is a vote for an agricultural system in some capacity. And so we're having this conversation with consumers for the first time where we're saying, you know, you can vote with your dollar for a system that's better for the planet. It's not extractive that rebuilds, that heals and restores communities, soil, can sequester carbon, it can infiltrate rainfall, recharge aquifers. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so this is a really exciting moment in time where people are, are, are right now hearing about this regenerative agriculture solution. And we're in this place where, you know, the goal, the mission for us is to make it accessible, make it easier for consumers to get on board. And then we're going to scale this system uh, globally. I think if I if I if I can riff with you, I think one of the things that's that's interesting for me is how there's these well these well um, th these major global issues that many consumers are familiar with, um, whether it's you know atmospheric carbon issues or, or climate issues and rainfall dr flouts, uh, sorry sorry drought flood, um, the implications of soil loss and erosion on food security and food stability loss of pollinators, toxins in our, in our water, and like glyphosate showing up in breast milk, dead zones in oceans, all these crazy, huge, big things. So many of those tie back to agriculture and agriculture practices. And I think what most consumers don't understand is the absolute massive scale of agriculture to impact those things. Agriculture is practiced on something like 40% of the landmass of the globe that's not covered in ice, right? And so you see it when you fly, you see how much is chopped up, but you got to think all that land is by and large being tilled and being sprayed with these things over and over and over and over again in this model where we've replaced community and people with profits and we've replaced biology and balance with chemistry. And ultimately we've turned agriculture into agribusiness. And that commodification that Taylor was talking about, you know, in, in the promotion of price above all else, at the expense of all else, we've allowed for and been complicit in allowing for all these major global challenges and crises to emerge. And with some subtle shifts, like they're doing at Rome Ranch and many other of our the partner ranches that we work with, we can reverse those changes and we can rebuild um, resiliency into the land and start to not only mitigate, but resolve those issues. And we can do it at scale. Because of that scale, it's led to these challenges at these scales but also it can lead to solutions at scales. And so that's where we're trying to really do what Taylor said and create awareness to the, to the opportunity there and then make sure there's access through a brand like Force of Nature, whether it's in grocery stores or whether it's online or whether it's beef or whether it's poultry or an exotic item, you know, wherever you are, however you want to purchase, if you're interested and your values aligned with what we're doing, we want to make sure that there's an opportunity for you to be supporting um, farmers and ranchers like the, the ones at Rome Ranch um, and driving positive change and impact. Absolutely. And what kind of things are people seeing? Like, I know there's, I'm sure you guys know the data on this, but like 
there's a difference, right? When you eat it, an animal that was raised conventionally and when you eat an animal that was raised in a regenerative practice per se, like what kinds of things can people expect if any, are you guys doing any like nutritional analysis on your stuff versus other products or is that factoring in or is it more of just the holistic environmental plan? Yeah, I mean, the, the nutritional quantification, that's that where we're looking at micronutrients of regeneratively sourced protein and animals versus conventional industrial, that, that science and that research is it's just not there at the moment. We've been trying to send meat to laboratories to have it evaluated and analyzed year over year for five years now. And there's not a lab that we can find that will actually do it. And so there are some people piloting research studies right now that we're really excited about. Some of our suppliers with force of nature that are kind of spearheading and leading this, some of our partners. And so I am optimistic that that is going to be a huge lever that consumers are going to be motivated and make it so crystal clear that it's more important to support a regenerative system. But what I can tell you, I mean, just as a consumer, you know, use your use your eyes when you're shopping for meat. And I will say like, you can tell the difference in the nutrients of the meat through the color of the product. Right. And I mean, every time I go to the grocery store and I see like one of our force of nature products or, or some bison that we harvest here from the ranch, put it in a ground form and then just look at the color and the richness. It is unbelievable. And that, that is nutrition that you taste. I mean, the minerals, um, all of these things that your body require. Um, but then also the flavor of this regeneratively sourced meat is light years, eons ahead of anything industrial. I mean, it, it actually tastes as it's supposed to taste as nature intended and as our ancestors enjoyed and consumed for millennia versus a lot of these industrial commoditized animals. They've been bred and they're hybridized and they're modified genetically to where, you know, the end goal is to produce a chicken, for example, as fast as possible with as little amount of feed. Um, and at the cheapest, uh, price for a consumer. And so you're sacrificing flavor, you're sacrificing nutrition, you're sacrificing the welfare of the animal, you're sacrificing the environment, you're sacrificing the entire spirit of what a relationship with land, what a relationship with an animal and how humans and land and animal co-evolved for millennia and millennia. And so that's really, you know, the easiest way, some ways to think about so much more flavorful, so much more nutrient dense, and um, just spiritually feels good to eat it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Something I love you guys are doing I, is incorporating organ meat. So this is like, you know, I feel like anyone who's bought in on this movement knows that like we should all be consuming more liver and more organ meats, but it's like, it's hard to do. Like, you know, I know we all have kids on this call. It's just like, some of the first foods I gave my boys was like liver pate, for instance, that I bought from, you know, someone at the farmer's market. But how did you guys come up with the idea to do that? And like, are their organ meats kind of mixed into all of your products? What are your best selling products? Like, give me the, the scoop on that. You know, I think the, uh, the, what you're speaking to, we have regular ground meat items, but we also have what we call our, our ancestral blend. And that's where we're incorporating some of those organ meats. And I think it's kind of a funny story because this is, you know, stuff that we were doing personally um, through the years and, and, and loved and had an appreciation for much like yourself. And it was almost like to the point of being frustrated, right? You know, I think at the time we were coming out with that line, it was the first year the report had come out that said, you know, for, for the first time in, in, in generations, the average American being born today has a shorter life expectancy to their parents. And it was just so frustrating. You know, how is it that we have lost touch with the most important, most nutrient, nutrient dense foods 
that are that would have been the most highly sought after by our not only our ancestors but any you know animals in the animal kingdom and and yet we're at a time now where we've distanced ourselves from that eating philosophy and priority and we're, we're we're seeing our health actually decline so we were like you know frustrated and it was like oh okay well we'll, we'll call this we'll launch this blend based on our own preferences and, and style but we're going to call it the ancestral blend of you know to kind of celebrate our own history and heritage where where, where that um came from um we're not incorporating organs into everything <clears throat> um you know we have to be thoughtful of running a brand and trying to do all the things we're trying to do and be sensitive to the modern palate that's one of the cool things about the ancestral blend well not everything has an, uh, organs in it those do but we've blended them in at a ratio that's sort of consistent with the ratio that you'd find organ meats to meat in the body. So it's not too much, not too little, but also sensitive to the modern palate. So you can get that nutritional density without having any potentially offensive tastes. If you're a person who may not love organs and particularly of note is, you know, the ability, and, and, and this is testing that we did, the ability to feed it to your kids and get them to come back and have more and love it, you know, and find a way to make sure that you can incorporate those super healthy foods into their diets. Um, definitely some of our more popular products, frankly, because I think the folks um, that see and, and, and have access to those items recognize the benefit and the value. And it's just been something that the, that the market hasn't offered for too long. So it's been really cool for us to kind of take, take the lead and bringing that out to the world uh, uh, at scale. And then uh, as a result of that, um, definitely have a whole lot more really cool stuff coming out in the same vein, trying to find more ways to incorporate more parts of the animal and, um, you know, both from a whole animal initiative and carcass utilization and just respect and honoring animal, but also, how can we better serve consumers um, in, in, in all that we're trying to do? Yeah, I love that. Now, going from running a bar company to selling like a, all your products are frozen. Do you guys have full frozen? Oh, we do. We do fresh and frozen. Okay. I mean, but that's even harder. Quite honestly, like how has that transition been for you guys? I mean, look, the bar business, we were there too. That's also can be a nightmare quite honestly. Um, but I just feel like this is like, yeah, learning a whole new everything. Like what have been some of the challenges that have come with kind of this new learning curve? The, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I think the fundamentals in business apply. And I think we're fortunate that we had done a lot, lot of the hard work and, and bolstering our understanding of uh, animal agriculture and practices and claims and standards to make sure that we had, you know, a supply chain built that could honor our ideals. I think the meat industry working in, it's really about working in the commodity section, the perimeter of the grocery store. Right. And I think your, your background and our background in the center store, the center aisle, you know, we saw things like the new claims coming out and brands coming out and consumers, you know, coming to form relationships with those things. And that center store revolution has been going on for decades and only recently started to impact and influence the perimeter of the grocery store where the commodities are right. Look at, going into milk and then dairy and then cheese and then eggs. But slowly but surely that 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 movement has begun to influence. And we just happen to be the first to really try to do that and bring that into meat um, at the sort of scale that we're that that we are. And in doing so, we made enemies with this huge plant-based movement. We made enemies with this huge uh, incumbent uh Tyson, Cargill, JVS, you know, all these huge meat companies. And so you know, we're out trying to disrupt and cause positive change and are a little bit on an island. And so it's certainly been it's been challenging, um, but it's been so rewarding because like with the ancestral blends, I mean, I can't I can't even begin to describe how enthusiastically we've been met with consumers 
at every turn who are helping us to disrupt these commodity sectors and to bring these ideals and these and these concepts into this 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 section of the grocery store that's been long starved for it. It's not just a section of the grocery store, right? Meat is consumed in ninety eight percent of households multiple times a day. I mean, it is the scale and ability to influence, like Taylor said, going from ounces to pounds is absolutely remarkable. So the the, the fight and the effort is 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 a worthy one for us. But 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 yeah. The odds were definitely stacked against us, and it's and we're grateful for for the support of brands and organizations like yours for helping us share this message and give us a platform. But you know, really, at the end of the day, it's the consumers who wield this awesome power to change and shift um, the world and, and and influence the change they want to see. And the advocacy and support from them has been unbelievable for us. Yeah, and which retailers are carrying you guys now? The days. Oh man, we're we have a store locator on our website. Um, we're uh, in basically all fifty states now, and 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 all of the top, most of the top retailers. So I could I could list a laundry list of folks, but we'd we'd be here a while. Um, uh, but may, you should be able to find us wherever you are nearby in a major retail on our store locator. And if not, we we ship direct to your door. Uh, and further, we're in food service, so we're we're selling to restaurants as well. You know, we're trying to. Um, make ourselves available to consumers as easily as we can. Cool. What foods, like what restaurants can people find you in? Are you guys in like picnic is picnic carrying your stuff or anyone? Who, who's, who are you we, we had a really great uh, local food service distribution. A picnic was one of the folks on our list. A lot of the really cool Austin restaurants and brands COVID made that a little bit tough for us. Yeah. Um, we kind of had to di- divert like, like many um, folks to kind of re- reposition ourselves and shift our energies from food service into, into e-commerce. Um, but we've gotten really big back into food service and there's some awesome like burger chains, like, um, uh, hop Dottie is an example, oh, cool. um, a handful of States and, you know, that we're working with to help do really cool things. And I think again, being about the brand and helping to champion this message and tell the stories, organizations like that, that are letting us be brand forward and, 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 and create awareness even inside those restaurant chains are the folks that we're partnering with. And so really mission forward and values forward companies. Very cool. Um, where do you guys think like this, this meat industry is heading? Like, it, it seems like there's definitely a trend this way. I, I have to laugh when you talk about like, oh, we haven't made friends with the like, you know, fake meat companies of the world and all these like Franken food businesses that are coming out trying to solve this food problem with technology. <laughs> I'm like, listen, <laughs> we need less technology here. We need more people going back to the way we used to do things. And I don't know how anyone... I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but how like anyone thinks that these Frankenfood meat imitation products with 80 ingredients in the first one, soy protein isolate, um, could be healthier than just a really well-raised animal. But like, how are you guys seeing the industry evolving? Just yeah. I mean, I'm happy to... You know, I was a little bit nervous for a second about the the meat imitation and the kind of industrial commoditized plant based alternatives, but the consumers they're not dumb. They they don't recognize that as as food. And you know, some of my <laughs> favorite examples of that over the last couple of years has been like in Texas. Anytime there's a, a hurricane or a Arctic winter freeze that shuts down the state. It's like, there's a run to the grocery store and like the, the things that get bought are like toilet paper and meat. And the last thing that's just sitting on the shelves is all the synthetic, you know, industrialized fake meat products. And so I feel pretty good about that 
Um, consumers are not dumb. They are not going to be deceived by that. But what is what is happening, what's interesting for a while, it's the, the meat industry, the incumbent multinational, multi-billion dollar companies, you know, they they started feeling guilt and they started recognizing that there was consumers out there that were exposing the atrocities and the horrors of that industrialized feedlot commoditized system uh, with animal agriculture. And so they they all said, shit, what's what's going to happen? What do we do? And for a second, for a split second in time, they started to divest. They started to actually put money into this plant-based synthetic meat alternative industry, which was like crazy. It was, it was so weird to see this happen, but they thought that the only solution to, or the only alternative to like this industrial feedlot model was a plant-based industrial commoditized model. And so what we're representing and what we're showing is like, hey, there's another solution. Wake up. This solution is more in line with mother nature. It's more in line with what consumers actually want. And it can create so much positive change. And so this is kind of like a calling and an awakening where people in the meat industry are starting to pay attention. And this movement, I mean, we're on the very tip of the iceberg. This thing is about to explode. And what I'm talking about is this regenerative revolution. I mean, this is like where organic was 30 years ago. Totally and so um, I'm very optimistic. I'm very excited. We're bringing more people on board. This is a global movement. This is not about only force of nature, but we want more companies. We want more producers. We want everyone practicing agriculture this way. And our long-term legacy goal is to impact 1 billion acres of land across the globe through regenerative practices. And we think when we do that, that is a tipping point um, in history where we'll actually start dialing back the time on our global kind of uh, heritage carbon emissions in the atmosphere. We will be sequestering more than what we're producing as a global civilization. And so it's going to have tremendous benefits for our planet, for our communities, and for these animals. And I see that as the only future. There's really, there's no other alternative. And so people are waking up and they're recognizing that the system that's in place, it is racing quickly towards a cliff and whether we turn around or we just bomb off that cliff. Um, but we're, we're providing hope for turning around. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys are just seeing like incredible demand. Cause I feel like this is like, rightfully so has gained like a lot of momentum. And I totally agree. It feels a lot like the organic movement 30 years ago. Um, it's super cool, but have you seen just like tremendous response? Are you guys growing like crazy? Like what's, what's your feel for where the world's at? on regenerative agriculture. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, I think I just gave a shout out to the consumers uh, a moment ago and and thanking them for that support. You you know, I think the um, like Taylor said, these big incumbent organizations, right. They, they don't, they only care about the money. That's why they'll, that's why they're willing to hedge and invest in plant-based, even though they're meat companies, right. They're just trying to find how to make the most amount of profit. And I think at the end of the day, nobody, even them, right. No, they're not going to make a product that consumers aren't going to buy. And right now we live at this point where consumers are de- demanding more transparency, demanding more um, authenticity from brands. And um, and we're out there to give that to them. And I think if consumers continue to hold the industry accountable, we'll see the industry change. Um, and we're really seeing that um, accelerate at an incredible rate. I mean, our, <laughs> our, our, our brand is, is certainly growing. And, and I think that we're seeing, not just through us, but independently, other regenerative farmers and ranchers and, 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 and stewards out there 
um, seeing more and more demand uh, pick up at an accelerated rate. So it's extremely encouraging. You know, we're doing the right things. And I think the biggest thing for us is to keep doing what, whatever it is that we can do to get the message out there and to create more awareness um, so that consumers have access to the truth um, and that they have the opportunity to make a, make a choice. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think the truth too is, and, 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 sorry, but the, I think what regenerative really stands for and represents is the manifestation of what consumers are already expecting. Right. And there's just so many slick ways that you can bend the truth or market things or, around that reality. And I think, you know, as we're getting more access and more transparency and more awareness over to the consumers, they're more able to clearly see, you know, and tangibly understand, oh yeah, this is clearly what I want to be doing and what I want to be supporting and where I want, this is the system I want to be complicit in supporting because for far too long, consumers have been active and complicit in supporting a system that doesn't align with their values. They just didn't know. We want to make sure again, that we reveal that truth and, and create that awareness so that they can then support the system that they believe in. Yeah. I love it. Um, this is kind of like going back to a Rome ranch, but just a question for you, Taylor. Like, I'm so curious. So I'm sure there's a lot of people listening, like even myself, right. Who have like had the dream of buying the land and like doing all the things you talk about doing there, but like, how does one actually do this? Like how many employees are working on Rome ranch? How involved are you and Katie? Like, where do you start when you're introducing regenerative practices and what was the land before you guys bought it? Was it you know, what were, what was happening there? And yeah, I'm just curious as yeah. I'm sure a lot of folks listening are. Absolutely. The beauty of Rome Ranch, when we bought it, it was uh, highly degraded. So, you know, through conventional extractive industrial agriculture, it had been farmed with monocultures for over 80 years. And we live in a semi-brittle wow. environment. And so it's yeah. very unforgiving when you till and you spray your soil. And if it doesn't rain for three months, that's about the worst damn thing that you could do to any given piece of land. And so we were able to start with this foundation that was, doesn't get much worse. Right. And, you know, this land land in this condition historically is kind of deemed unsalvageable. Um, it's, it's undesirable. It's not recreational. It's not productive. And we, we saw this as like, this is the one, like, it doesn't get nastier than this. It doesn't get more abused than this. Let's buy it and let's restore it. Let's bring life back to these pastures. So was it like a bargain because it was so just destroyed? Like no one else wanted it type of a situation? It had been on the market for about three years. Okay. You know, it had <laughs> been it. on the market. And for it's what? Like it's dry. It's there's no green. Like yeah, how do you even desertified. Do you soil tests yeah. and determine yep. like this is Good. shit? did you know baseline soil tests where we're less than half a percent of organic matter organic matter you can think of it as like carbon or biology within the soil and historically our area you know where a river valley would have been seven to ten percent organic matter and that has huge implications for the water cycle and the nutrient cycle and all things with the land that you need to produce food and so you know it was it was it was tough it was um it was hard to begin and I'd say one of the advantages that you have in all these new agrarians, people who want to get back to the land, move out of the city, decentralize, is that I strongly believe that if you didn't grow up in agriculture or if you didn't go to an agricultural college, you have an advantage because you can see things a little bit different. You don't you're not fighting. Um, you're not fighting. Generations of indoctrination, before. years, decades yeah. of indoctrination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have the creativity and the liberty and the freedom 
to try stuff. And, and the ignorance. I mean, you don't even know what you don't know. So you're like, and sometimes just doing nothing is probably better than what is happening when people are so active. And Exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing that people don't truly understand is that you, me, we are all these listeners. We're all carbon-based beings. We're all from the soil. And when we die, we will all return to the soil. And the soil is the connector of life and death and the transformation. And it's this beautiful, sacred um, resource that we know little about as a civilization. But the thing is that we do know, um, like we have to listen to it. And I think if you come at it from a perspective of being more in tune with an ecosystem, looking into nature for guidance and for wisdom, you can start learning as you go. And so I think that was the biggest advantage for us, but the change that we've seen here is it doesn't get more dramatic. Um, we have three times more bison than anyone in our community. Per, we have three times more animals than anyone in our community per acre. We have more grass. We have more wildlife. We have better water infiltration, more carbon sequestration. And so we're demonstrating this in real time that it works. And we have a small team. It's just myself, my wife. And then we have uh, a ranch wrangler named James. And we work together really closely. Uh, we love being outside. So we That's get to it. Build. It's just the three of you running this 900 acre situation. Yeah. Yep. 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 So yep, who's yep. like taking care of the bees? You guys have a beekeeper that comes and helps with that? The bees are freaking feral. They okay. uh, they take care of themselves. We, we took right. care of them for the first three years. And we just kept building their resources. Whenever We would never extract honey for ourselves. We'd always reinvest it in a new hive. And so the bees are on autopilot now, Okay, um, which is which is wonderful. So you just, so what do you do first? Do you find James and then you buy animals? I mean, first, so you have to imagine these degraded, desertified fields. And this is not um, like, this is not uh, exclusive to Rome Ranch or Central Texas. All land that has been farmed is degraded everywhere in the planet. Yeah, our, our natural resources are being lost at an alarming rate. And so in many circumstances, when you take over a ranch, you're going to take over like us, we were on subsoil, all of our topsoil had been lost. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing we had to do is cover bare soil. And we rolled out hay. So we bought hay, hay is carbon, right? Grass is carbon. And so okay. we exported grass from someone else's ranch, imported it to our ranch, rolled it out, allowed the bison to graze on it, to trample it. They cycled that through their rumen. So they- Were there bison already there or did you introduce the bison? We introduced the bison. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was mostly plant-based monoculture out here, cool. but bison were a keystone native species, you know, from central Mexico all the way to the Northern reaches of Canada. So that animal should be in America throughout through North America. Right. I mean, it's a keystone. And do you have like a fence. Did you put a fence in first around the whole property or we built some fences? Yeah. And we built okay. some electrical fences, did a lot of infrastructure, but those were truly the, the species that were like the catalyst for the change. Um, they, they brought this pace back to life. It was like, That's let's bring the bison. Okay. Now the bison are here. The grasses are returning. Okay. The grasses are returning. Well, now the insects are coming. The insects are here. Well, the field mice are showing up and then you have ground nesting birds showing up and then you have predator birds showing up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And this whole system comes back to life um, again, but we manage our animals just like many of the force of nature suppliers through mother nature's guidance, through her wisdom. So mimicking that natural migratory behavior of these animals, never allowing them to overgraze, always allowing land to receive the appropriate stimulation from the grazing, but then more importantly, the recovered rest that's essential for it to come back stronger season over season. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting too, and we've you know, been talking about how beautiful and romantic regenerative agriculture is and how cool it can be, right? But I think there's this illusion in all of our minds that we have this choice. We can go down this path with regenerative agriculture, or we can continue down the current conventional industrial chemical monoculture path, right? And I think what one of the things that we want to really impress upon people is we don't really have a choice. Something has to change, right? It's either we're going to start to invest our time and energy into systems that will allow us to continue to produce healthy food in the future, um, or we're going to not be able to produce food in the future, right? I think we've all heard maybe that FAO report from a few years ago that you know there's only 60 years of food production left. What they're really pointing to is we are losing and degrading our topsoil at a rate such that we can't, it isn't replenishing. Topsoil is this little tiny thin layer that wraps some parts of the globe that all life on the planet relies on, right? I mean, it is the foundation for all life and we're destroying it at a rate where we're, there is legitimate concern that a generation or two away, we won't be able to produce food at all. So we have to do something. We can't just maintain the status quo where we mine and deplete that um, the cool thing about, you know, what Taylor and what we're, what we're talking about with generative agriculture is it addresses that it, 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 it flips the script on those things. We're all carbon based, based life, like Taylor said, and we need carbon in our soils. He kind of gave reference to their, their organic matter levels, right? We need the soil to be alive so it can create living food that feeds the rest of us, omnivore, carnivore, whatever, herbivore, omnivore, carnivore. Um, and I think even just understanding like the legacy load of carbon, what's happened as we've um, really sort of just raised and destroyed this land, even, even of the carbon in the atmosphere, which you hear talked a lot about 40% of the load, the legacy load of man-made carbon in the atmosphere or man influenced carbon, 40% of that comes just from tilling. So when we talk about, Hey, limit tillage, keep green growing plants on the ground, allow photosynthesis to, to draw carbon down, all these things that we talk about, Tilling is really, really, really bad, and tilling exists even in organic systems, right? In fact, tilling, tilling is, is is oftentimes more intense than even in organic systems. So, and what is you know, tilling for someone who doesn't know who's listening? Uh, it, it, tilling is like running an implement behind a tractor where you actually are, are cutting and then turning up the dirt behind you, right? In an effort to, largely in an effort to eliminate um, life, which we call life weeds. Um, eliminate life um, and then make the soil easier to work with um, and, and more malleable because it's void of life. So it doesn't have that nice, like rich chocolate cake consistency. It becomes hard and crusty and it does all these different things. So it's, it's sort of like something that you have to do because of how we've degraded those landscapes. But anyway, the point, the point I wanted to, to, to make there was just this recognition that you know, status quo is not an option. We have to, something has to shift and to change. We have this incredible opportunity to use our, 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 our capabilities, our technology, our modern understanding of science and human ingenuity to employ practices on the land that celebrate and rely on and cooperate with nature and replace this agriculture technique that we've been using that is literally chemical and mechanical warfare on nature and replace it with one that is you know, harmonizing and celebrating these processes in a way that allows us to improve resiliency and create food. That's the path I want to choose if we have to make a choice and we do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And are you guys like, do you find that there's enough people to meet the demand you have on the, for, for force of nature growing food this way, or are you guys actively looking at like 
purchasing more land and creating more regenerative farms? Like where's the supply and demand at between the two, would you say? Yeah, this is the chicken versus the egg, really. I mean, and, and we had the same uh, criticism, not that you're criticizing this, but one of the biggest criticisms is like, is there enough supply to no, do I'm this? I'm not criticizing. I'm like curious. Like, do I need to be going and buying some land? If it only takes three no. people, like I'm, a, no. I'm in. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking like a Hawaiian regenerative agriculture farm. That would be the Whatever place to do it. products you need. Like, oh, boy. I want in. I want in I'm on visiting. this cool life. Yeah. Well, so so the good news is we have the landmass to do it, um, right? We have more than enough land to do this globally. Um, but what we don't have is we don't have the management. We don't have the mindset. So we don't have the training of land managers to implement these regenerative practices at scale. And so um, it's ours to create. You know, supply chains don't just happen. Ranchers and farmers don't just go out on a limb and create something yeah, you need new. The supply. Yeah, you know, multi-generations of of training and conditioning, right? They don't just abandon that to do something different. They need the consumer to be the catalyst for change. And so ultimately, force of nature is going to be creating that change. And that's our goal. That's why we started the company. And so we believe that we're going to be able to impact a billion acres through this company, which is it's enough to change the world. I I think think one of the the, the big things, too, and again, why the, the role of the consumer is so important this agriculture system system isn't just broken in the sense that it's creating all these awful outcomes on on land and lands and ecosystems right it's it's absolutely destroying communities you know we have these incredible heroes on the front line managing lands and producing food for us and they're they're really stuck in this awful sharecropper type system where in the name of large corporate profits they're getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and eventually losing their land you know we're losing 5 to 10,000 farms a year here in the United States we used to be a nation of farmers we used to you know 40% of the country even at the turn of the last uh, in, in the 1900s used to be farmers and food producers now that number's you know into the low single digit percentages and when i say we're losing 5 to 10,000 farms a year don't think of that as a farm think of that as a family Think yeah. of that as a legacy. These are people whose entire life and everything they know and there's a sense of identity and self-worth is tied around the being a fifth or sixth generation farmer and trying to serve people. And our system has is, has failed them and they're losing that livelihood. And it's going into Bill Gates, who's now the largest you know farmland owner in the country and wanting to perpetuate and continue to promote these large, you know, bureaucratic, again, industrialized versions of agriculture. And so there's more than enough land. The technology is there. It's proven out. The reality is we just need consumers to continue to want to honor and celebrate that and 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 and, and really support um, farmers and families in those communities that are going to make food that, you know, we would be proud to serve one another. We, as for, at Force of Nature, we have a value. You feed others as you wish to be fed. We call it the golden rule of food. That's what farmers and ranchers and that's what human beings do for other human beings. If we allow all that land to go into large corporate corporations whose sole intention is to drive up profits, we're going to lose that value in our food production system entirely. So it's important that we recognize the impact that our choices are having on real people and real communities, and ultimately the, the, the neighbors and the other human beings that you know we, we want to be um, supporting and we want them to be supporting us in turn. Yeah, absolutely. So how long does it take to turn the land? And Taylor, like, how did you learn how to be a farmer? I have some incredible mentors, um, people that have come into my life uh, with the, at the right time, right place. You know, uh, Alan Savory is a big 
inspiration for me. Will Harris is a huge inspiration for me over at White Oak Pastures. Gabe Brown. I mean, these are people that have all written books. Nicole Masters. that are just very digestible, very easy to read, easy to find, and um, just very enlightening. And so I'm not going to say that we have all the answers. I'm not, I'm not uh, there yet. And, and I think it's, it's all about the journey. It's all about learning as you go, being open, being receptive, being, having observation skills, which frankly, we've kind of like have this educational, um, you know, platform in place with, with public education where we just like lose that ability to, to observe and to make decisions based on observation. Right. And so it's just reconnecting with that, reconnecting with the legacy of, of our ancestors, reconnecting with that beautiful co-evolution, that synergy with the land. You know, this is in our DNA. It's in our genetics. We've, we've, this earth is 13.8 billion years old. It's been around for a long time. It's been doing the same thing uh, for a long time. It, it wants to be self-healing. It wants to be self-regulating. And so as human managers kind of alluded to it earlier, but a lot of times it's like, sometimes you're better off just getting out of the way not, not screwing it up, not being ignorant or trying to use technology to combat nature. And so, you know, it's, it's one of these things where when you say how, you know, what's the pinnacle, like what's the ceiling of this, how much is changing? Well, we're seeing tremendous change. We're seeing about 30% improvements in organic matter, soil structure, um, soil carbon, water infiltration, everything year over year is getting better by about 30%, which is tremendous. Wow. Uh, that has huge potential. But in my lifetime, I'm never going to see the ceiling of the regenerative process here, probably not even in my daughter's lifetime or my grandkids' lifetime, because we truly don't know the limits as, as humans. We've lost that. All land has been degraded. We don't know how productive and how healing um, land can be. And so that's what we're trying to find out. And um, I think, you know, in just a, a couple of years, we're going to be doing something in Central Texas that's, that's never going to be done. We're right there with people who have been practicing thoughtfully and with uh, natural resources in mind for 50 plus years, we're accelerating how quickly we're getting there in five years and we're about to pass other people. Um, but we want people to join this and we want to show and demonstrate what we're doing and be really open and communicative and inspirational about it. And so even like your listeners, you know, if there's people out there that are managing land or farming or ranching and you want to look at a new system, I mean, we're here to support you, right? Like that's why we're a brand. So please reach out to us at Force of Nature, reach out to me at Rome Ranch and uh, come to Texas and learn. Super cool. I love it. Um, okay. No, we're almost out of time. So we're just going to switch gears really quick, but what are you guys most excited about in like health and wellness right now outside of regenerative agriculture? Okay. I think I'll let Robbie think about that. <laughs> I, uh, uh, my wife and I are are really into at the moment doing fire and ice, just contrast therapy. Uh, we love it. We do it a couple of times a week. Uh, we have a sauna out here on the ranch and a cold plunge and um, just like the metabolic and the uh, mental benefits of it are just tremendous. And so yeah, I've been like replacing a lot of my, my workouts, my, my weight workouts and cardio workouts with it and, and feeling great. Love it. Uh, I was just going to say that we did a, uh, as a, as a company and, 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 and working with some other brands, we did an animal-based kind of diet challenge for the month of January. I think for all of us, we've really, you know, even, even at Epic, right. You know, Epic was started as, as a, as a, as a vegan energy bar company. And we've all been trying to continue to stay educated on the front ends of, 
health and wellness, food and trends. And I think right now, you know, seeing, doing, as we say at, at our company, reclaiming the legacy of meat, right? Seeing real meat, red protein, eat more protein, eat more animal-based items, like seeing that celebrated and then incorporating that into my, my own diet and our own diet, more, more organ meats and so on. So I think to your point, not necessarily regenerative agriculture, but just seeing meat re- reclaim its rightful position at the top of the podium on, on, on the hierarchy of foods that we should be um, we should be eating and, and loading up on and seeing protein in particular coming from animal-based sources um, really make its way up to the a bigger portion of the plate is is something that I'm really focused on as well. I love it. Um, what is, this is my last question, my favorite question I ask everyone, but what's something most people don't know about you guys? Taylor's like <laughs> scratching his head over there. God. <laughs> Are you just an open book like me? Everyone knows everything. Surely there's something. Golly. What, what is, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I was like, I was like, maybe we could try to answer for each other, but even there I'm drawing a blank. Um, on. I've had people tell me they got in a helicopter accident that most people don't know that they were hella skiing and the helicopter went down. Let's see just some stuff they're into that you wouldn't think of. All right, Taylor, I'd, I might answer for you if you want to answer for me. How's that? Sure. <laughs> I love this. This is even better. Uh, okay. So, you know, I think you've asked a lot of questions ab- ab- about Taylor and I think you're, you're, you yourself are even inspired about what it might take. And it's a big leap to try to go and practice, uh, uh, you know, being a land steward and, and, and there's a, there's certainly a renaissance happening there. Right. And I think one of the things that <laughs> with, with Katie and Taylor, when they, when they bought Rome ranch, one of the first things they they did was drive out there in their Prius um, and drive their Prius into a field and, you know, just take like hand mowers and hand, you know, trying to impact land at that scale. And so I think, I think it's just kind of a funny anecdotal little story of, you know, some folks from the city getting out there, but I mean, really anybody can start at any point and um, start, you know, being uh, willing to, to fail and learn and trial and error. And, you know, what they're doing right now is remarkable. And I can say that because I've, been to ranches all over the world and seen what some of the best examples look like. And Rome Ranch certainly qualifies now, but you know, where, where they started was, 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 you know, pretty early in the, in the journey. Love it. Love it. Uh, okay. This, I don't know why it's easier to do one about Robbie too, but um, when, whenever we were starting force of nature, Robbie was so, he was kind of like a diva, but he was really actually just pissed off, but he was like, I'm not buying meat for a whole year from the grocery store. F the grocery store. I'm not supporting that system. Like, all right, Robbie, that's cool, man. What are you going to do? And so for a whole year, he just ate the bounties of his hunting. Really? um, That was pretty impressive. And then, and I think he got a little bit, I think he missed bacon. And so we were like, Hey, let's start a meat company. And we sold bacon early on because then Robbie was like, okay, I'm cool with eating stuff from our company. I love it. That was that. Um, what were you hunting? What were you eating? A lot of like. Venison, elk, boar. I like to do fishing. You know, I, I always say the, the best source of meat uh, is to get out and Taylor and I have done this together, right? Get out and spend days on the land, huffing and, and, and carrying packs and 
hunting something down and, and, and maybe succeeding and maybe failing. But if you succeed, then you can, you have that journey and that connection and that's that, that, that spiritual and ancestral sort of relationship with your food. And then you can take it back and share it with your friends and family. And the second best way is to have that meat either gifted to you or to do like Katie and Taylor and Rome ranch and, 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 and grow it for yourself. Um, and then I think for us, the third best way is to work with an organization like force of nature, who's, you know, rallying, um, folks like Rome ranch at, at a larger scale. And so, um, you know, I think anybody that, that wants to support what we're doing, that's, that's phenomenal. We, we want to be there for you. Um, but you know, I, I can't claim that we're better than getting into the Rocky mountains and harvesting your own elk with your own bare hands. Um, that's the way nature truly intended it. Um, we're just trying to be the best replication of that, that we can. It's great. I love it. You guys did a good job with each other's um, there. So I'm, I'm impressed. Kudos to you both. Did you survive the whole year? Did you make it? I did. You I did. did. It's great. Uh, and Taylor was right. I might have I might have had a little bacon lust at the end of that year for yeah. sure. I, I bet. Awesome. Well, let everyone know where they can find you guys. And then um, thanks so much for coming. It was great chatting with you both. Yeah. But where can, where can people find you? Website? Oh and, we just and dropped you got a name we just oh, dropped sorry. like the most badass, beautiful website, brand new revised website yesterday. Okay. So please check that out and you're going to get your mind blown, but it's forceofnature.com. Cool. It's very yeah. awesome. And then also check us out on Instagram. Uh, we have really badass, inspiring content on Instagram and really just trying to connect people to the ranchers, the land and the animals on which we all depend. And so it's, it's definitely some of my favorite stuff to go and be inspired on a daily basis. Fabulous. I love it. Well, thank you guys so much. It was wonderful catching up with you again. I love what you're doing and I'll let you know when I buy my land in Hawaii and, and I need someone to, to support the, uh, the fruits of the land. Yeah, it probably so won't good. be hard to find volunteers to come help. <laughs> Very cool. Thanks guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us and catching up.